My name is Kyle Willis, and this is Marketing from the Roosevelt Room. Welcome back to a new episode of Marketing from the Roosevelt Room. I'm excited to jump in today talking about sacred cows of our sales culture. Uh, here in, in today's episode, what excites me about what we're going to be getting into is being able to tackle some of the mantras and attitudes that have become the eminent domain of sales that as we hear from our, our guest today, it's, it's time to change. And, and I think, you know, as, as we learn in, in today's episode, uh, that there, there's a new shift coming to sales uh, that uh, our, our guest, Adam Zeiss, is leading the charge on and what he's been able to bring throughout an extensive career in sales, over 38 years in sales, seeing what's, what's become these sacred cows that he's saying, all right, this is, we've seen what happens. We've seen the culture these create, uh, and it's time for that to make a shift. So I'm excited to welcome our, our guest today, Adam Zeiss. Adam's had a career in sales that stretches back over 38 years. If you ask him, he'd tell you he's finally starting to get a hang of it. But as I've spent time with him over the last uh, few weeks talking sales, I, I think there's a lot more to it than just finally getting the hang of it, Adam. <laughs> and and I, I think uh, our, our audience today is in for a real treat. You know, I think as, as I've learned from you over over the last week we've been talking sales that you know you you got your start uh in sales and i'll ask a little bit more about this in, in the beginning um but from the computer industry and you've been a part of creating and building seven software companies to a successful exit or strong ongoing growth when you uh, left is that all right that's right and it's uh as i look back i tell my kids my kids say to me first of all Thanks, Kyle. Well, I'm great. It's very exciting to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. My kids tell me, "Well, Dad, you've had this great career. You know, you, you, you talk as, as dad to a parent to as a parent to a child, and yeah. they're, they're asking about their what are they going to do and, and all this kind of stuff." I said, "Well, you have to understand that I didn't necessarily plan it in advance. It looks great in the sure. review, <laughs> but yeah. um, uh, yes, th thanks, thanks. For, it, it's a it's a number that is a little daunting." Yeah. Uh, is, is it? But um, I have gravitated towards uh, software companies, number one, and smaller uh, startup type companies. Uh, they, it, not because it's better uh, industry or anything like that. It just happened to be what was um, in front of me. And it was a, it was a, a lane that I picked. Uh, and I can tell you why. Yeah, uh, please. Back, uh, I wasn't uh, my first job out of out of college was at a manufacturing company down in New Jersey, and I was uh, an inside sales rep for at a at a, you know, what they call factory sales. So I was dealing with our distributors and and so forth. And it was at in that job that I met one of my great mentors, uh, Vern Getman. He's no longer alive, and okay. uh, we can we he'll he'll. I might tell a story about him uh, in in the in the podcast, but um, uh, the other thing is I got my first introduction to uh, computers at the time. Yeah. The company was trying to put in what was then called an MRP system, and uh, I just said, "Oh, this is really cool!" You know, raised floor rooms, you know, key punch cards as the system loader, and it was all very. Uh, it seemed like 
this is the future. And I said, I want to be involved. So that's how I decided uh, after that, uh, although I didn't go into computer industry type jobs for a while after that, uh, that I, I always knew that that's where I wanted to end up. So, yeah, I love it. Okay. And so as you guys started in that, where I love to know, as you, you began in the computer industry, you know, as, we've, as I've learned, you were one of the founders of Wistia. I'm a Wistia customer. And you've seen- Thank you. And well, thanks for creating a great product. Um, and, and so in that, you know, that company, uh, now you're VP uh, of sales and marketing at Refract and uh, it can go through your lineage of uh, great companies that you've been with. Uh, but I'd love to just begin by what brought you uh, into sales? What was your passion? Um, was that something you were born into or is that something that you developed along the way? Uh Awesome question on two levels. One, it's an awesome question to develop a sort of a personal context, but it's also one of the sacred cows yeah. that, that people are born into sales. Uh, no, I wasn't. We're going to debunk that. We're going to myth bust please, that in a, in a second. But my personal journey was I got out of college and I called my dad and I said, so I have a political science degree. What am I going <laughs> to do? And he suggested that I contact uh, somebody and uh, it was the, the job opening was in sales. So I said, I'm going to take this job because it was the one that was in front of me. <laughs> yep. And so there's two things about that. One is that's just me personally. I decided to do it because of, you know, the circumstances I needed a job. I'm, I'm very lucky that that happened to have been the job. Um, I didn't, didn't select it. And I think it's not because I, I, it, sales is often a, prof and I do believe it's a profession, by the way, but a sales is often a career that people back into. And um, I, I think that that should change. Uh, that, that, that's not one of the sacred cows, really. Sure. But it's, it's, it's a point of view that... I, I would hope that people begin to, as as the, the world keeps turning and so forth, people are, are are selecting into this profession the way they might decide to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, so I kind of backed into it, it, it without without a lot of uh, a lot of thought. But I'm not. No one, in my view, is born to sell. Hmm. That is one of the. Erroneous, I think wrong, wrong-headed, knuckle-headed, frankly, <laughs> points of view that that people have that there is a personality type. What they mean by they say someone is born to sell is that they're celebrating the gift of gab or someone who is outgoing uh, in the way extroverts are outgoing and uh, that uh, they're a people person or or something like that. It, and there, the, the the reason I call it a knucklehead moment is that yeah. being being uh, uh, being in sales doesn't have anything to do with one's personality, uh, it, meaning being being having having success in sales isn't a function of one's uh, personality, bubbly or otherwise. It's yeah. you've probably met plenty of people. I know, I know have in my experience people who have great sales results come from a exhibit a whole bunch of different kinds of personality so it isn't about talking a lot 
or you know the life of the party or anything like that so the idea that people are born to sell and that it is as long as they have that those kinds of personality attributes they'll be successful can i swear like my, yeah, absolutely. my friend Keenan's <laughs> it's just horseshit it's it absolute is. horseshit uh, the there are uh, it's there are people who are born with more athletic that native you know, sort of innate yeah. athletic skill than others okay that's but sales is a profession that can be taught it can be learned just like anything else and uh, to be good at it takes practice yeah. and great mentorship and frankly great coaching um, and I was lucky I had great mentorship and great models if you will uh, my dad first and first among them and then Vern uh, we can get to Vern in a bit um, and coaches and I'm still getting coached even today in, in the company in the in, in the context that I work now by people half my age or, or younger uh, I learn every day from that so it's that's that that is what turns out to be what you need to be successful in sales not a great not a personality that people all of us suddenly think are you know it if you're a people person you'll be great sure. at sales it's it's just horseshit so what I'd love to hear from you then because I think what what you have to offer and what I, I picked up from our very first conversation uh, is and I know you currently lead the North America sales team for an international company uh, you talk about this aspect of mentoring and building a sales culture then for someone who is either just getting started in sales or hitting that roadblock and hearing that that sacred cow of uh i'm not born with it so i should i be considering well yeah here's here's here so let's yeah we're sliding right into another sacred cow so to speak the which is that sales organizations if you look at them tend to be uh male white male in fact uh and uh People tend to, you know, think that being a, being an athlete is, uh, you know, a, some some requisite or something like that, or, uh, you know, perhaps even coming from the military or something. Sure. The, the the kinds of sales organizations that you see in movies or in, uh, you know, even in in um, well, just it just sort of the. The commonplace, uh, I think, perspective of, of what a sales organization is, is that you, you look at Mad Men, for example. The, yeah. the, the, <laughs> it's, Iconic that, example. It's a male, it's a male dominated, uh, and it still is, it's, it, and we're all bros, you know, yeah. it's a locker room talk, you know, it's, a, oh man, I, I can't believe I went there. You got to edit that out. Because, <laughs> uh, the... It's the the cultures are ter tip, typically authoritarian and and militaristic, yeah. and uh, instead of being oriented towards development uh, and coaching and so forth. So the the sacred cow that I think that we're talking about here is that it's got to be go go or uh, you know rah rah or um, you know sort of well, just a bunch of guys, you know, getting stuff done and, you know, yeah. eating ready. You, know, you, you hear people just 
they even talk about it. They use words like, you know, we're meat and eating people. We're, we're killing what we are eating, what we're killing. We're going to crush the competition. And it's a, it's like this, it's like, come on, you're kidding me. It's, can, can we have, can we have a little bit more of an evolved point of view of, of things? And um, I saw this, uh, someone, uh, one of my contacts uh, on LinkedIn, uh, who I actually know in real life as well, shared a video of a, uh, he was talking about how do you get ready for your sales day? And the little video was, I don't know where he got it, was of a bunch of millennials, mostly male, mostly you know, all white. Uh, there were only there were like 15, 20 of them, and, and, and there, four of them were, happened to be women. Uh, and they were doing this sort of like the kind of stuff you see the Orle- New Orleans Saints do before, before a <laughs> football game. You know, like Drew Brees in the middle. And everyone's yelling and screaming and and. and pounding the it's just it's like it's like caveman dives what is this going on it's like this is what kind of mindset do you have when sure when you when you when you have to hype everyone in order in order to have right in order to have great sales conversations you got to listen to you know more (laughs) than you're talking and you're yelling and screaming and jumping around like you're going to play play a play a, a you know a football game what do you do get on the phone and start yelling and screaming uh, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't. I don't get it. Uh, I don't get why people, even in in this in this example, these are a bunch of millennials perpetuating things that are just stereotypically wrong. Hmm. Uh, I was I was aghast. You can read the comment that I made to my. <laughs> I think I saw. I'll have to go see your comment. I think I saw that video, and it made me think of like a wolf from Wall Street example, where everyone's getting hyped up before they start their day and waiting for the party streamers to run and everyone to take their drugs before they keep going the point of view the point of view that sales is about winning and someone else losing is the wrong in my view the wrong lens to look through i like that i understand that we're trying to win i happen to love to win yeah. i want to win i want to win but it's not be- i don't want to win at the expense of other people i don't really want to win uh i care about my competition in the sense that uh, I, mean, I, I mean, what I meant by that is I want to beat them, but it's not because I want to beat them in the way you want to beat another team sure. uh, in a sport or, sure. or uh, you know, defend yourself against a man-eating, you know, animal or something like that. You know, a little, it's, and I, I certainly don't want to win at the expense of the customer. That yeah. point of view is yeah. just ridiculous that, that, yeah. Sales is about, should be, selling anything should be about solving the buyer's problems. I like that. Pure and simple. It's just helping someone buy something that is going to be meaningful for them in their life, uh, business-wise uh, and, and, and hopefully personally. The yeah. best, the, a recent sale that I just did was with a company where, where, the, where the, uh, the, the head of sales there uh, in the first call that we had said, I feel like I'm letting my team down because I can't do certain things now that I could do before. And when you have a situation where someone is willing to share, I think courageously here, willing to share something that was personal, personal and emotional, that's, that's the Holy grail for yeah. a sales conversation. Yeah. It, it's the, we have lots of sales conversations where people are saying, Oh, we'd like, to improve 
you you see this all the time in your business. We'd like to improve click-throughs or visits to the website or something. But there's always a why. Yep. Why do you want that to happen? It, it, that's deeper level. You know, it can, could be many layers deeper. In this case, this guy volunteered it up immediately. I didn't have to do much questioning to find out something that for him was a compelling reason to buy. I, that was personal and emotional. I want to feel like you know, I'm supporting my team better. That's, that's the great, that's the, he, the, the elements of a great sales culture are right there with the leader saying, Hey, the success of the team is predicated on my ability to help them as best as I can. That's, I mean, I can't think of a better place for him to be yeah. uh, in, in, at least in a mindset, you know? So, so, so Adam, I'd love to, to, you know, bring a positive spin to the negative sacred cow. And as, as you talked earlier about the importance of that, salespeople can be trained salespeople can be mentored and it comes through the culture that is created for that sales team. As you've built so many different sales teams over your tenure as VP of sales in many companies, what is the one or two things that you'd say every sales culture needs to have that would foster and help grow the, the right kind of sales people? Wow. What a question. I'll try to unpack the answer uh, <laughs> in, in no particular order of importance per se. Sure. I think one of the first things is uh, one of the sacred cows that you and I talked about, which is people who are sales managers need to stop selling. Uh, the idea of the player coach is another one of those knucklehead things. You, you, you can't, the, the role of a, of a sales leader, whether that's a team leader or a, you know, VP of, or a CRO of some multinational company or something like that, is the, the lion's share of what they have to do is, is to coach, uh, to motivate, to uh, hold people accountable, to uh, you know, to recruit perhaps, but it's not to sell themselves. It, and that's one of the biggest mistakes that most sales organizations do is they promote their number one salespeople into being managers as if that's, that's a, as if that's a career path. <laughs> um, it's the skills and the mindset and everything of being a, a, a top producing sales rep and being a top uh, producing <laughs> In a different, in a different uh, aspect, uh, manager are really night and day. However, what they tip, what, what organizations typically do, and they can t you know, they make this mistake all the time, is, all right, the manager is also going to be having the, uh, her own or, or his own portfolio of, of business, yeah. and that's um, it. <laughs> It, it, it's just stupid. You, you gotta say, so that, that's one thing. Um, the second thing is top management has to be supportive of the, of the culture in, in a couple of ways, which is we are going to take it upon ourselves as a mission to make every single person in this organization, uh, Achieve, it, it'll be overachievers. Yeah. Every sales 
organization that, uh, you know, with obvious, uh, I mean, there are exceptions to this and in increasing and happily increasingly exceptions to this. Um, every sales organization, how, or the, I should say the, the, the typical sales organization looks like this. You've got two or three people going to president's club. Uh, you got five or six people that are at 80%, uh, and then everyone else kind of sucks. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean they're they're lousy people. I yeah. am just their their results are, are yep. and and those by those results by the way could come on the back of being the number one sales rep the previous year. So they, it's just about where they are now. Sure, uh, that's the way sales organizations look like. Just like um, you you probably would expect. There's in any in any group there's going to be a top and a bottom to a degree, and what. Top management needs to, I think, shift the behavior change or the sh- the mind shift, the paradigm shift that they have to go through is that it's not just about the people going to President's Club. Yeah, It's our jobs as leaders of sales organizations is to onboard people and get them to productivity as fast as possible. I like that. And to move the middle of the pack and even the bottom of the pack to the front of the pack. Everybody needs to be producing, not just, you can't make your numbers on the back of three or four people and, and, uh, and every, you're paying for everyone else. Yeah. Why in God's green earth would you, would you not invest in, in making, in, in figuring out how to help everyone become, uh, the best them that they can be to the point where they're producing, uh, you know, getting the outcomes that, that not only they desire, but you desire. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. you know, there and so let, let's talk about uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, Oracle was so is famous of saying, you know, oh, we just, you know, 10% of the people are going to fire every year. I, I understand that <laughs> holding, holding people accountable yeah. to, uh, to results is, is, is the lens through which most sales organizations and sales leaders look, look through. But what happens is that it becomes the perfection, if you will, or the result or the number becomes uh, the measuring stick, not the change that people are making to try to achieve that. So if uh, so, so here's what I mean by that. Firing someone because they're not at quota is potentially something that is, is going to happen. But the, the way to think about holding people accountable is not to an arbitrary, uh, you know, achievement of some arbitrary number over which they really don't have that much control. Sure. The thing that you have to hold people accountable to, and by the way, the, the, this is, I want to re- the idea of a development-driven uh, and coaching-driven sales culture is not singing kumbaya. You're still <laughs> holding people accountable. Yeah. It, it, it's you're holding accountable to different things. You're holding them accountable to the changes that they need to embrace and internalize to get to the to the things that can be measured like the a particular number or something like that. Yeah. Whereas the, in the more authoritarian point of view, it's just, uh, you know, it's this. Get it done know, or get out. Yeah, right. Right. And it's, it's, it's sad. It's, it be, it's sort of a failure of leadership. It's being lazy, frankly, as a leader to just say, that's, you know, okay. Put you on a plane. Have you ever heard that? Put, put a, someone on a performance plan 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know what that means? They're, they're looking for a job immediately. They'll never produce for you hmm. in that, in that period of time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so has to be top down understanding that we're, 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 we're all, it's all about moving the, the entire organization to a place of uh, getting great results and, and, and outcomes. If you do the math, the organizations that, that sort of have a few people at the top, maybe a few people right behind them and then everyone else below 50%. And if you get everyone just at 80%, yeah. it's sort of this idea. I, I commented on a, on a, on a, uh, on, on LinkedIn today to, or was it today? Well, who knows uh, <laughs> about, about, about this. It's the, it's not an idea that, that I came up with. It's, the, it's sort of this aggregation of what you, know, you call marginal gains. If you can get everyone to improve a little bit, the, the whole typically is, the, the results of that whole is going to be better than just having three people at 200% of, num- of the number. Yeah, yeah. I hear that. Uh, what other things differentiate the – it? <sighs> I see this all the time. Oh, I don't have time for co. I don't have time for development. I don't have time for coaching. I don't have time for this. I'm I'm dealing with uh, making uh, making my forecasts. You know, these are sales managers. Yeah. It, a sale, any sales manager that says to herself or himself, "I don't have time for my sales reps," is in the wrong job. Hmm. That's good. That's true. So. Adam, I'd love to hit another cow. And before I do there, you know, I think back in my days when I went to the University of Washington's sales program. We're sitting down with our director of the program and up above his, uh, in his office, up above his desk, he had that famous line from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, coffees for closers. And the, <laughs> <laughs> he always had his cup of coffee coincidentally on his table. Um, and in that, you know, we hear from, as we think of that movie and it's become not just from that movie, but the, the, the phrase always be closing. I remember in class one day, my teacher tapping that board, my ABCs as I'm going through the sales program. Uh, why is this a sacred cow and what needs to be different about this attitude of salespeople should always be closing? Wow. So first of all, it's, if you really read the words that David Mamet wrote for that was originally a play that became the movie. um, It's not a celebration of anything positive. It's a, dark it's a dark and cynical look at humanity just the way the way people are it's the that that has become some you know being held up by the the, the world of sales as some kind of paragon of goodness is it's just so creepy that that people don't see how wrong it that was absolutely Absolutely, the, about the worst representation of, of people that you, you could you could you could write. Wow. Uh, it, it it was it was not meant to be taken literally. Yeah, it was never meant to be taken literally. Coffee is so so. Coffee is for closers. Um, closing is completely overrated, in my opinion. You know what's really under undervalued is how do you start the conversation? 
how do you keep the conversation going? The idea that closing is something that we do to a, to a buyer is, is just wrong-headed thinking. Buyers close themselves when they trust the person that they're, they're, they're talking to, when they view them as a trusted advisor, as opposed to like a vendor or peddler. Uh, and that's tough to do. That's, that's so tough. It's, it's, it's tough to, it's tough that's to get so to that place. Um, it's, it's easy to think that, oh, I can arm wrestle this person and, uh, and out and, and pin them yeah. that's that, and, and close them. So, but the always be closing thing, here's the one element of that that I agree with. We should always be trying to get decisions to continue the conversations from uh, the people that we're conversing with. That's true. We should always be quote unquote closing for next steps. Uh, and I don't mean closing in the, in the sense of these uh, stupid things like the trial close or the puppy dog close or the assumption, you know, these, these tricks or it's like, if you have to trick someone into buying, buying <laughs> you are never going to sell anything to them again. Yeah. You make it, you know, it's, it's not, that's, that's not how you're supposed to do this. Um, uh, so always be closing is getting people to focus on that thing that we talked about is I'm going to, I'm going to, or, or if you go to the movie and, and, and look at especially those, those scenes and what these people are trying to do, um, you see these people uh, doing things that are unethical, uh, immoral, perhaps illegal. And, but, but they're certainly uh, based on persuasion you know, trying to out wear the other person down yeah. or manipulate them. That's, that's not a recipe for long-term success with that customer. I'm not talking about building a relationship like your friends. It's that, especially in the world that I come from now, which is SaaS, uh, SaaS is, you know, software as a, as a service. You have to earn that, that customer's continued uh, subscription every minute of every day of every year. Yeah. That's, uh, so when you have that perspective of we're in it for the long haul and I'm not just, uh, you know, trying to get this one thing out of you and then I can move on and, you know, we'll, we'll go to the uh, next town. It's like that, um, that commercial series that's on right now on television about, uh, you know, it's, uh, things are just okay. It's, I think it's an AT&T com uh, campaign yeah. and, and these, uh, a mother and a child are in this uh, carny, like, roller coaster or ferris wheel or something they say so is is the uh, how's the ride uh, oh i put it together last night i think it did an okay job <laughs> and and, it, and they're like oh really well it's safe well you know if it's if it doesn't work we just move to another town so it's like it, that's that's the kind of it, that, that's that's what glengarry glen ross was all about yeah it's i'm going to screw people out of their money yeah and uh so Always be closing in, in that context was always be trying to rob people uh, or manipulate them or uh, talk them into something that they wouldn't otherwise do. That's, that's not selling. You ever, you ever uh, go to one of those timeshare things? <laughs> I have. On my honeymoon, okay. I got tricked into it. Right, right. <laughs> Kyle, you can win a Mercedes. You could win a Bugatti or, you know, a, a big screen TV or this bag of peanuts. So uh, <laughs> you figure, hey. Three, one in three chance of getting something good yeah. uh, or two or three chance. Let's, you know, so it's a, and then they just wear you the fuck down. 
Yep. You can, you can edit that out. They wear you down to the point where you just sign to get out of there. That's, that's what the always be closing mentality is. And, I, and, and so let's put it in the context of your professor. Why do you think he said that? Is uh, well, either he kind of thought that that was cool and uh, you know, that that was some kind of meaningful thing to, to teach students about, about that. In, he, what he could have done instead is that, well, there's a kind, there's a thing that we can call closing that is worth doing, which is always trying to make sure that the other person there is, that you're talking with is engaged with you at that moment in time and wants to continue the conversation. Yeah. Uh, and wants to wants to get other people involved that need to be involved and wants to do the kinds of things that you might be asking, like to try the software or to demo the software or to buy the software even uh, or or to refer you to someone else uh, if in the, in the situation where it's not a fit um, the that's the only way to look at that phrase yeah. that makes any sense to me yeah. everything so, else is just wrong-headed thinking. I love what you said a moment ago about how buyers close themselves when they trust the person they're talking to. And so I'd love to, again, bring a, a positive angle to the antithesis of the sacred cow. And, and I know this is an elaborate question, so if there's a simple way to give a little insight here, welcome it. If you say it's too, too complex, I'll understand. But are there certain questions or conversations you encourage of your staff to help the buyer in that process, establish that trust, provide value to keep the conversation going? There's three questions you basically have to answer uh, in, 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 as a salesperson to, um, it, it's, it's not, and if answered, it's not a guarantee that there's a, there's a sale happening. But these are really the three questions. Is there a problem worth solving? Not all problems are worth solving to people. Uh, a, if there's a problem uh, that uh, I had this today, I can't, I, there's, uh, I, I'm talking to a prospect. <laughs> Might as well use a good example and tell a story. So I'm not going to name names or anything like that, but yeah. this pro the, the reason they became a prospect is that they reached out to us and said, this is really an exciting, you know, they, they became a prospect. All right, fine. So I have a discovery call with uh, not the decision maker there uh, and that's okay. We can, you don't know, not all conversations have to begin with the decision maker. Sure. And the, the problem that this person was beginning to describe had to do uh, a little bit similar to the story I told earlier about the the sales uh, the sales leader that was uh, you know felt they were letting his team down uh, her, the, the, letting their team down and it's a, it was about you know we want to get better as an organization and while I haven't figured out what the value of the state change from today to afterwards is sure. you know th that's you have to figure out whether if, if you go from today to, to some point tomorrow and you spend some money and, get, and, and, and you have to understand what that, what that gets you. Uh, if I change something for the better, what does that mean in terms of dollars and cents and or personal, you know, personal and emotional elements? Yeah. So you have to find out if there's a problem that's actually worth solving. That's, that's right. the first question. Yep. And that's about building a business case. 
The, the second question that we have to answer is, does the person that you're talking to, and hopefully eventually as the decision maker, do they want to solve the problem? Do they want to solve the problem? That's good. And lastly, do they want our help? Those are the really the three questions you got to ask. Uh, I mean, yet you have to, you don't ask those questions, of course, <laughs> yeah. but those are, those are the questions that you have to answer. The, a lot of uh, people are taught, well, just find out who the decision maker is and how much budget they have and, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so questions begin to get asked, like, uh, do you have a budget? So that's a terrible question. It, it's a piece of it's a piece of information. I'll grant you that you got to know, but uh, asking, uh, do you have a budget? It's just it's a dumb question. Um, so now getting to the point is, you know, how do we try to to frame the right questions to yeah. to move conversations to the point where you understand if there's a business case and you can understand what the uh, what the business case means in terms of um, things that are measurable either in money or in emotional, you know, EQ kind of elements. Uh, You see, it's, it's the the questions that you got to ask are really about what's, what they care, what, what the buyer cares about, what, what in their world. And so you have to be, let's take out that ABC. You have to always be curious. You have to be curious about what's at the root cause of the situation that they're describing to you. Um, and it may take a while to get there. So you have to ask questions that sort of sound like a four-year-old. <laughs> Why? 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 There's this great uh, scene from uh, a, a, an episode of uh, the Louis C.K. show where he's talking to his daughter at breakfast and she just keeps asking why. And he goes on and on and on about stuff that had, uh, you know, he starts talking about, he's, <laughs> It, it's it's a wonderful. Uh, I'll I'll try to dig it up. It's, yeah. it's if you can imagine you have you, you have an eleven and one year old. You said so. Yes. Uh, you can imagine them asking you questions about anything. Yeah. Uh, whether it's your job or you know, where you are in life or things that are maybe spiritual or whatever. You know, they just keep asking why. They just keep asking why. And so I think taking that sort of marrying the little kid approach with it, sort of the journalistic, the who, what, where, when, and why, those, those kinds of questions where it's different than pro, closed probe questions uh, where people can just answer yes or no. Yep. It's more open things that people have to answer in sort of prose, if you were, that that kind of thing. The um, other things that we, we, we always talk about is to just, uh, if you, if if you can't, if you can't think of another question to summarize or or to, or to play back to someone that, that they've, uh, I know this is getting a little prescriptive here, but, uh, and the, you know, or just to say, tell me more, or you know, to ex- to exude curiosity yeah. about what people what people are sharing with you, uh, um, and even to explain why you're asking a question to someone, which yeah. is a little meta. Here's the question. Let me tell you why I'm asking. Yeah. Uh, when I ask you about, uh, uh, you know, who else cares about this? It mean, you know, I'm trying to help you understand how you guys can go about make getting a decision done 
in the context yeah. of, your, of your own company. I, yeah. I, it's, it's not to help me. I, it's not, it, I mean, it does help me sort of, uh, it, you know, by definition, but it's really about trying to help you. And those are the, th- those are the kinds of things that uh, we try. I try to, t- it's because I learned it and I'm not, and I t- now I try to teach it. That's, uh, and those organizations which support that uh, and help, people uh, either learn it, pr- uh, practice it, and perfect it are the ones that are going to win long-term. I hear that. I hear that. So i got time for one last cow I want to cover, and it's, it's uh, a big one, but I welcome you simplifying it as much as possible. It's this attitude and belief that sales is a numbers game. Uh, it's it's you know that sales starts when 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 we get the no. It's it, it, quantity is what matters. For every every ten no's, there's going to be one yes. So just go crush it and dial for dollars. Why is that not? Why is that not the case? Uh, I'd love to hear hear your explanation of why you believe this to be a sacred cow. And instead, what kind of game is it? Is it a game at all? Well, I guess you could call it a game. Uh, I tend to think of it as it's not a game. Yeah. It's 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 serious. And uh, the, the 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 I whenever you hear someone say it's just a numbers game, it's that they don't really care enough about trying to be helpful. They're just they're focused on themselves. Uh, I've just got to make all these calls, uh, and and uh, who who cares who they are? If they have a phone number, I can call them. You know, the idea that just because someone has a phone number uh, that they want to hear from you is is ludicrous. Uh, the it's it's not a numbers game. It, it, it's it's sort of like um, when look through that lens, it's it leads to behaviors that. Are, are the wrong kind of behaviors. It's, no, I don't want to buy sure. this. Oh, now I'm going to go into gear. That's that, you know, <laughs> sales starts when s- someone says no. If someone says no, it means no. That it, it, it could mean no that, they, that you weren't effective enough yeah. to ask the right questions. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it, maybe they are a potential, maybe they truly are a potential buyer. But when, when, they, when you hear no, uh, the first thing I do is I say, well, I probably wasn't. As a, if I know that it's a targeted, it's a well-targeted conversation to have started, and it leads nowhere, it's usually on, not. It's on me yeah. to have have to have figured that out sooner than later. Uh, so I'll I'll grant you that. But the idea that I, it's the, you should sell something that what you have to everybody is, and you know. It's just crazy. I'll tell you a funny story. Maybe it's, uh, I'll tell you a story. Hopefully it's funny. <laughs> okay. So back in the day, I go to this sales, tra- I mean, I've been to many sales training things. So I, I go to this, I'm not going to name the, the, uh, the, the, the name of the sales trainer who's very famous, written many books, uh, nor I'm gonna, am I going to say what, what the name of the training was because it'll just be it's quite obvious who it is, and I don't want it. It's not that. The point of the story is is this: this sales trainer, very very successful, very very very, like I said, popular, comes into the the first day of sales training. We all, the entire sales force, goes to this hotel, and we're we're sitting there uh, in in this room, and we see this flip chart at the front of the 
you know, the sales trainer's not there, but our, you know, we're all there and our VP's there and there's this chart and it just has a pie chart on it. It has a, uh, a slice of, and it says uh, uh, 10% in, in, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the slice of the pie chart. And, you know, we're sitting there and again, everyone's getting a little like, oh, what is this all about? Yeah. And the guy comes in with a, you know, big flourish and, runs and he's like, yeah you know it's kind of a little like that we talked about the rah-rah thing is great you know i'm gonna it, whatever so he goes up to the up to the flip chart he says does anybody know what this is and of course no one says anything no one wants to look like a fool because we're all going it's a my chart <laughs> but, but no one's going to say that out loud to be thought like you know at the risk of being thought an idiot so he goes in any marketplace only 10% of the potential buyers in that marketplace are looking for your product right now. So we're all like, oh, we're all dutifully scribbling that down and going, that's, 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 that's gold there, right there. And uh, he goes, so what I'm getting, and then he writes this big 90%. We all can do the arithmetic. Yeah. He writes the big 90% in the other part of the pie. He goes, I'm going to teach you how to go after the 90%. Because that's a bigger number. Really? You think about that for a second. <laughs> so we all wrote that down and we're all nodding and going, wow, this is going to be great. We're going to make a lot more money. And <laughs> I, I, years later, I thought, what hogwash, man. Uh, it, why don't you just spend all the time trying to find out the people that are looking for your product right now? Yeah. yeah. And you know, that has given rise to things like inbound marketing and, and whatnot. But it was always, the, you know, HubSpot didn't create inbound marketing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's common sense. The, it, there are people that really want what you have. And you just got to find them. So it's not about shotguns. It's about rifle shots. You know, it's a, it's, a, <laughs> and that's a bad analogy. So it's not about trying to, embrace the 90% and go after them. It's trying to find whether I am, am I talking to someone who's in that 10% now? So that too has given rise to the ideas of, you know, get to know fast, which is, you know, you should, you should find out whether the person that you're speaking to is in that 10%. So the, yeah. the idea of it being a numbers game, I'm going to call everybody to find out if they're in it. The, that's sort of, yeah, to a degree, you have to, but it's, it isn't about numbers. It's, a, it's about being effective at, at figuring out whether the, the, uh, the, the person that you're talking to is in that, in that 10%, if you will. It doesn't matter if it's 10% or 12 or 15 or 30. It doesn't matter. Um, and then beginning to answer those questions that we talked about earlier. Yeah. So this problem that's worth solving. They want to solve it, and they want, they want your help. Um, that's huge. Uh, the the idea that you can just sort of waste all your effort on uh, all the you know we life is short man uh, we we don't have a lot of time to just sort of talk to everybody in the in the hopes that you're gonna you have to you have to work harder to find out whether you know you should be talking to anybody that's why it's not it's not it when people say it's a numbers game. They're they're looking at it from the perspective is I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to anybody who could give a rat's ass about what we do, uh, versus trying to trying to figure out the people that are that care about it right now. That's huge. 
Uh, Adam, this has been this has been awesome. I think what I'm I'm pulling away is I love. Chris, you're gonna, like, you're gonna have to fix a lot of this in post. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm gonna take this raw. This is this is perfect. <laughs> I love what I'm hearing from you because so much of it, what you're talking about, is leading with values, leading with the relationship, and you know those three. Core- can I push back? Can I maybe push push back gently on something? Yeah. It's uh, because I know your listeners are gonna go relationships. Who, who you don't need relationships. We don't have time for that. Relationships. It's not about trying to become a lifelong friend with someone. Yeah. It's the relationship is about are people exchange both do do the both people in the conversation feel that they're exchanging information uh, freely, honestly, uh, and and willingly. Well, willingly and freely. I said that it's do I. One of the other sacred cows is sort of like the, uh, you know, maybe a, a bonus sacred cow yeah. is that, that people say people buy from people they like, know, and trust. Well, the only one of those that's important is the trust. Hmm. It's great to be likable and you might even be known by the person, but if they don't trust you in the way of, I don't mean trust you that they, you know, you're evil. It's do they believe that you can be counted on? to be helpful and uh, in that you will do what you say. Trust is the thing that matters. Like, like, and known less so. So you can throw those two out really. Uh, Like I said, it's great to be likable. There are plenty of people who are not likable that do well because they're, they can become trusted advisors quickly. They can, because they, it's the, it's the differences in the kinds of questions that you ask. Yep. And like we talked about, and the yeah, so why are we why are we on this topic? Oh, so I was I was push, pushing back on yeah, relationship the, about the relationship. It's you can build a relationship that is in in thirty seconds with someone that that that's important that's appropriate for that call or that or that sales cycle. It's it doesn't it doesn't take long to do, and that that's the only reason I wanted to flag it as. You know, for, it's not about trying to do this lo- for a long time because yeah. most sales cycles have to be shorter than longer. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's that's the only thing I wanted to say. No, and I think that's so important. I like it, your aspect of you know, it's not so much about who you like and know, but who you trust. And I think that that last question you you encourage that we have to get answered of do they want my help. The, the aspect I mean by relationship, that aspect of do, I, do they want my help? Do they trust that I can help them in the short term with the sale, the long term with the service uh, to, especially as in your industry where it's SaaS, the ongoing, as you shared earlier, that every month they're reevaluating that opportunity. Do I want to keep my subscription? Uh, and that's what I mean by relationship of do I want to, yeah. I still trust that you yeah. can deliver on what I need help on. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's put it put it. Think about it in in, in terms of your business. Uh, the you have to be seen as a trusted advisor. It's yeah. great that you're a nice guy. It's a great that it might even be great that someone knows you, like it was referred to you. Uh, it's it's really about whether they feel that you can help them and yeah. that they feel that you care about helping them. That's, that's key. That's key. 
Well, man, I, I'm so honored by your investment with us today, your time to be able to highlight these sacred cows and make some cheeseburgers out of them, grill them up a little bit and be able to <laughs> turn them upside down of what, uh, what, what yeah. foundations we need to rebuild. And, so. and there's, yeah, I, I think, yeah, thank you for, uh, for, yeah, I, I talked a lot. I, 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 I got to say, you, you got me going there because it's, it's, this is such a wonderful subject. And, you know, we didn't, we only scratched the surface, frankly, yeah. of how many of these, uh, these myths that are out there. Uh, the, if people, you know, the, the kinds of people that I, I think that people should listen to, I don't know if you, you, you know, who Keenan is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he's great to listen to as an example. Um, read books, Read books like um, uh, "Quiet" by Susan Cain, uh, you know, "To Sell Is Human" by Dan Pink. Uh, uh, I think Anthony Iannarino's uh, latest book—I can't remember the name of it. Sorry about that, but uh, or no, it may not be his latest book. But uh, I, I, I got a, some good things out of that. Um, but I, I'll tell you, uh, in closing, the guy that I learned how to sell from was a guy that was uh, this guy, Vern Getman, who absolutely was a genius at, uh, at, at selling in the, and I met him on my first job and he always out, he had one of the worst territories in the country. He always outperformed other distributors because he had figured out how to be more helpful yeah. to his customers than the sales reps from his competition. He was more memorable. He was more helpful. And he became the value to, to the customers. It's very easy for people to say, become the value. It's very, very hard to understand or describe what that is. But I'll break it down. If you can become someone that they feel they can rely on to help solve problems. However, you know, with your services, your product, or the things that you represent, uh, you are going to be in uh, a place to win more often than not and uh, to achieve more than less, typically. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's, maybe that's for another time. The, the, this, this, this guy was when I broke in, I was, you know, 21 years old and he was in his sixties and he absolutely kicked my ass. Uh, he would get up at four in the morning and go to six at night, six, seven o'clock at the night. I mean, it, this, uh, amazing, amazing yeah. stuff. And it was really, that's Perfect. where I learned. That's where I learned the expression is just help people buy. Hmm. I like that. We're not well, selling anything. We're just helping people buy. For our listeners' benefit, I'll make sure to put in our show notes links to the books that you recommend. And Keenan, I know it's salesguy.com. Yeah. Uh, when, when we first met, did some. I enjoyed listening to him. I think he's got an incredible way to present, to make. Yeah, he's not everyone's cup of tea. I get it. But uh, I, I think he's got uh, a lot, lot of good stuff to say. Yeah. Well, I think when it comes to having a lot of good stuff to say, I think you gave us a lot today. <laughs> So I, yeah. I don't mean that lightly. I think there's been a lot of value here and some takeaways, what we can make practical in how to get those three questions asked and be able to lead in building trust. So thank you for your time today. It's been a real privilege and honor to have you on the show. 
Well, likewise, my friend. And uh, I hope it's not the last time we get a chance to talk. I mean, not on, not necessarily on the podcast, but you know. Absolutely not. I think we already got some ideas of what a round two podcast and conversation. <laughs> well, we could talk about marketing. You know, <laughs> I believe marketing and sales is really two sides of the same coin. Agreed. People tend to think of it as something really, really, we don't have a really great word in English to talk about how these two concepts that are viewed as separate by virtue of uh, an entire kind of point of view, especially, I think, deriving directly from the fact that they're two different words. Uh, you know, German is a wonderful language to smush things together, <laughs> you know, because concepts, but, and smarketing doesn't make it, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just, it, it's, the goal is the, is the same, to create and keep customers. Yeah. And uh, we could talk about that sometime too. I love it. I think we already got that, listeners. Look forward to bringing <laughs> okay. Adam back a second time. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Hey, I want to thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Marketing from the Roosevelt Room. I know you have a lot of options on what podcasts you can listen to, so thank you sincerely for taking the time to join us for this one. If you have enjoyed this conversation, we'd love to keep it going in our Facebook group, Marketing from the Roosevelt Room with Kyle Willis. In that, we have live video, Q&A, and create more of a dialogue. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so please join us on Facebook. Otherwise, look forward to catching you on our next episode. Have a great day.